I hope everyone's well today. God is on the throne. Uh, I hope you're more in love with Jesus today than ever before. And uh, if you're a guest here, we welcome you. We are just so honored to have you here today. Um, I wanted to give you an update before we get into the message. Um, if you've been around at all in, during the week, there's a, been a lot of work going into uh, the parking lot, the basketball court, things like that, because we're getting ready to pave. We've scheduled a paver. That's... Uh, yeah, that's a big step. Actually, you may call us crazy, but it, and it is a big step of faith because we're still short money, okay? Um, so, you know, if you feel led, we, we would love to uh, welcome any uh, windfall or <clears throat> uh, tax, tax checks that have been sent to you lately or uh, things of that. <laughs> but anyway, if you, if you feel led to give, um, we, we are definitely moving forward. We don't have an exact date as to when he, uh, the, the paver, um, the owner of the business is coming, but he's finishing a job and then on the way here. So this is going to be groundbreaking in more ways than one. It's going to be exciting to have a paved parking lot. So that's the best, uh, that's the most up-to-date I have. I mean, anything subject to change, so, but that's where we're at schedule-wise. Um, and I just want to, pr- I feel like before we get into the service, I just want to pray for our city. I we need a breakthrough in our city, don't we? You know, there's, there's churches meeting all over the place. Um, lots of great churches in our city. Lots of people who are passionate about Jesus. Lots of people need breakthrough. Um, and we want to see God begin to move at new levels and new ways, new dimensions. And uh, so I just want to ask you, as I, before I open my, uh, before I start the service that we, or the, the, the message itself, that we would just join together as one to, to believe God for great things for the city. And so, Father, we want to thank you, God, for your goodness to us, Father. We want to thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, to us, God. Lord, you have been so good, Lord. You have demonstrated your goodness time and time again, Lord. You're so gracious, and we just love you so much, Jesus, this morning. We give you all the praise, God. And we lift up, Father God, our city before you, Lord God. Lord, we we declare, Lord, with our voices, you you are God of the city, Lord. You are God of the city, Lord God. We want to lift up the churches, the pastors, the people, Lord God. Lord, those who may be uh, uh, walking into church for the first time ever in their lives, those coming back to church, those, Lord God, uh, Lord, who are postured and ready for your spirit to move and touch their lives, Lord God. Those, Father, who have been faithful, Lord, that need a fresh touch, Lord God. Father, uh, and anyone in between, Lord God, we just ask that you move in a mighty way in our city, God. Lord, that, uh, Lord God, that, Father, Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ in this city, Syracuse, Lord, Father God, would be touched by your awesome presence today, God. Move mightily. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Um, I want to say today, uh, I've just been thinking about this a lot, and I am so proud, uh, first of all, to be called, uh, just honored to be uh, called the pastor of this church, but so proud of you I've been thinking about how much God has been moving and, and the challenges that have been put out and uh, just, just how people have been aligning their lives with the Word of God. And, and as, as uh, challenges have been put out, when people begin to realize that their lives have not aligned with the Word of God, they are quick to change. Many people are saying, you know what, um, I, I'm willing to change my life. Teach me, show me, and, and we've been seeing that, you know, when the, what the Word of God says about forgiveness. We've been seeing people um, just, just walk out this forgiveness thing, 
forgiving things that have, have been um, unforgiven for years. What the Bible talks about marriage. We've been seeing people pursue God in new ways to strengthen their marriage. What the Bible says about uh, gathering together as a body. A few weeks ago, we talked about that. There were so many people that signed up for, for life groups and grow groups. And we are just so excited about people's response to the word of God. I, and I believe that, that is the, that's the process of transformation. So as we respond to the word of God, as, as we hear the word of God and respond to it and begin to walk in it, God changes our lives. You know, what the Bible says about serving, David preached, Pastor David preached a great message last week on serving. You know, people are stepping out and saying, you need me, count me in. People are, people are moving in, in the city and, you know, just being servants to uh, our city. And what the Bible says about giving, people are realizing, people took the 90-day challenge. I heard a testimony this morning about how God was moving after they took the 90-day challenge. God is just on the move. He's worthy of praise, amen? And so our job is to respond to him and his word. That's what we do. When we respond to him and his word, he moves in our lives. He changes us. I mean, even I could, what, what the Bible talks about addictions and freedom. We've had people put pills in our hands, you know. People surrender. People go to rehab. You know, they've just been under the bondage. And Jesus Christ came to set the captive free. So I just want to say I am proud uh, of a group of people that say I want, I, want to, I want to respond to God's word because I know that in it there's power. God's word and, and his spirit backing it up is power and it'll change us. It'll transform us. Um, and so I'm very excited about that. Um, as a church, we want people to come as they are. But we don't want them to stay that way, you know? Like, whatever uh, situation in life you're in, come. But we're going to challenge you to change, right? I mean, that's what, that's what coming to church is about, to experience Jesus, to encounter Jesus, the life changer himself, the one who comes to bring freedom and forgiveness and, and, and just set people free and open blind eyes and, and just do great works in our lives. So we want to continue to change. You know, bring what you got, bring your mess, bring your, you know, bring your problems. Uh, we don't have to be ashamed of it. God wants to change us, amen? So we're, pr- we're, we're, just, uh, we're just blessed to see that happening. Um, a few months ago, there was a story that I read on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, a lot of you probably uh, at least saw this, uh, whether you took the time to read it or not. I guess, you know, maybe that happened for you or not. But there was a story about a pastor who was newly hired to a very, very large church, like uh, maybe 10,000 people. Brand new pastor, he was hired. And his first day, his first day on the job, he was going to get introduced to the congregation. And uh, so what he did was just, it was, first of all, it was just brilliant. And I, I envy the creativity and the, the idea behind it. But he dressed up as a very poor broken, homeless, hurting individual. And he went to his congregation. He went to the church about a half hour before the service started. This was the service that he was going to be introduced. Very, very, very large church. He's about to be introduced to his congregation um, in that service. But the time before the service started, he was trying to connect with people, say hi to people, you know, uh, meet with people. And he began to notice the people were giving him dirty looks. And, and uh, you know, uh, uh, only about three people actually took the time to respond to his, his intentional 
um, putting himself out there to meet him and, and talk to him and things like that. Most people, you know, uh, just made him feel like he didn't belong. Most people looked at him with disdain and, and uh, you know, like, this is not a place for you. Rejection. And so the service starts, and uh, actually as the service is starting, he comes and sits near the front. The ushers escort him to the back row. The service starts, worship takes place, the announcements take place, and all of a sudden the elders take the stage, and they're about to introduce the new pastor, Pastor Jeremiah. And so they call this man up. Uh, well, they, they, they introduce it. There's this round of applause. They introduce Pastor Jeremiah, and people begin looking around, and there's no Pastor Jeremiah coming. And all of a sudden, he gets up from the back row, begins to walk up the aisle, and it, it's a very large church, so it takes him a little time. But the, the applause, the rousing energy, and the excitement of the new pastor being introduced begins to change. And people begin to realize their hearts have been exposed. What's really deep down in their hearts has been exposed. They begin to realize that the person that's going to lead them, their shepherd, they rejected. They gave bad looks to. They made him feel like he wasn't welcome. And he got up and he shared a message and, uh, about the heart of Jesus. He began to you know, just preach a message, but he started off by saying this today I see a gathering of people, but not the church of Jesus Christ. Their hearts had been exposed. And I, I, I got to be honest with you because uh, as I read that, and this is for three months now, I've, I've thought about that. Like, what would happen here at Faith Chapel? Would we be exposed? Would we be exposed if someone that we're not used to coming in here came in here? How would that person feel if, they didn't, if, 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 if we felt that they didn't fit in? How would that person, would they get the looks? What if this person smelled? What if this person, uh, you know, uh, just, just, um, just didn't look the way they should look, didn't dress the way they should look, tattered clothes? Would we be exposed? This is something very important to me as a leader, as the pastor uh, of this church, and something that um, I feel is very important for us to discuss. And so today I want to talk to you about uh, something very near and dear to my heart, and that's a culture of acceptance. Now you, you may say, what, what is that? What, what, what is a culture of acceptance? What do you mean by that? I mean a person shouldn't matter, their history shouldn't matter, their past shouldn't matter, their dress shouldn't matter. The way they look shouldn't matter. If they have good clothes or bad clothes, if they smell or don't smell, it shouldn't matter. If they come in smelling like it, it shouldn't matter to us. A culture of acceptance. No matter how they come to us, we should have a heart to accept them. To accept them. We should make them feel welcome. We should make them feel like they belong here. That's what I mean by a culture of acceptance. Um, and uh, we, we really want them to know they belong here. You say, where, where do you get this from? Romans 15 has a very powerful verse. Probably, if you read it, it probably never stood out to you. It probably never uh, struck a chord with you. But Romans 15, 7 says this. 
we could get that on the screen. It says, accept one another then, this is Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, uh, you can read that. It's some of Paul's finishing touches on a, a, a wonderful epistle to the Romans. And um, we could read through that. And sometimes we, we, we fig- forget the details or uh, don't process the details of what's being said here. But he's saying, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Now, I don't know how Christ accepted you, but I could tell you how he accepted me. I was a mess. I was broken. I was in need of a savior. I was, uh, you know, in spiritual terms, I was filthy. You know, my best was before him was filthy rags. That's how he accepted me. He accepted me, I, you know, I, 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 was in a, I, was, I was into the, all the wrong things in my life. He accepted me. And here we see Paul saying, accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. I could go on and on about where I was at, and you could probably think about where you're at when you were accepted by Christ. And I love how this verse finishes. It says this. In order to bring praise to God. So our acceptance of people, this is amazing. Our acceptance of people is a form of worship. In order to bring praise to God. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. I, I want my life to be worship before God. It's, uh, you know, and we had a, a wonderful uh, time in worship this morning. I just love that song uh, about the cross and Jesus Christ coming up from there. Just powerful, powerful, powerful. But our lives, our lives, how we live our lives, our forms is a form of worship. And I often wonder, would we be exposed? How would we be respond and I'm just, you're going to get mad at me how I, you know, what I say. Some of you, I, I'm not going to mean to offend anyone, but uh, I really need to be just totally open about how I feel. This is very important to me because I believe Jesus Christ came with an open door to accept everyone, all who are willing to come. What, happened, what would happen if people came in that we weren't comfortable with? What would happen if people would come in and, and they just, they, they're, they're not from this area. They're, you know, clearly they, they have little income, this, that, the other. There's problems. How would we as a church respond? See, here's the deal. The church must be a place that is willing to accept people. Accepting people rather than condemning them. Giving grace. Giving forgiveness. Opening the doors rather than judging. This church must be a place like that. This church, my heart is that this church would would capture the heart of God. And so we're going to go after that. We're going to go after that because I really believe no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what background you have, and and if anything I say is you in your life right now, I'm, I'm trying to help you. I'm on your side, okay? So if, if, if I call out something like, an alcoholic, you know, uh, 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 an adulterer, a fornicator. It's because I love you and I want people to embrace you. Because I believe it's through the embrace that people's hearts are open to the Christ that changes them, to the Christ that transforms them. It's not through the judgment. 
It's through mercy and grace that people's hearts are open to what God wants to do. And so um, I begin to think about this. Could it be that the very people Jesus is trying to send us, Jesus is trying to reach in our city, could it be that the, the answer to our prayers about changing our city as people come by, as people either come to the church or we experience them in our everyday lives, could it be that those very people we are pushing away? We're stiff-arming them because they don't belong. They, they don't have a place. They don't fit. Could it be that that's the way it is? Because our perspective, sometimes we have this perspective in church, and the perspective certainly exists outside of church. It's a myth. It's not true. It's just, it's, sometimes people think this way that uh, the church is not for imperfect people. The church is not for people that have messy lives, lives, broken marriages, rebellious kids, drug addictions. It's just not for those kind of people. Messes in their, it just, it's, it doesn't work. The church is not made for those kind of people. If you want to go to church, in fact, you would never invite someone in that. Some of you, this is the myth again. Some of you would say, you know what? When you get your life straight, then I want you to come to church and experience God with me. And that's the exact opposite from the heart of Jesus Christ. It's really the exact opposite. I've experienced this on the streets of our city. Uh, You know, uh, someone has a powerful encounter, just a love encounter with Jesus as we just go and minister to them. And they say, I want to get back to church, but I've got some things I've got to straighten out in my life first. And I'm thinking, what? You don't clean up before you get in the shower. You just get in the shower to get cleaned up. Right? That's how you do it. And the shower would be representative of being in the presence of of Christ, his blood cleansing us, you know? Don't clean up before you come to Jesus. Come to Jesus to get cleaned up, okay? So I've seen this. It's a very prevalent type of mindset. And I just want to say, you could agree with me, you nod with this. Uh, We tend to be very transparent here, but there's no one perfect here. There's a lot of messes in this room right now, especially mine. Okay, but we try and pretend like there's not that much mess. We try and pretend like we don't have uh, stuff going on that either needs to be dealt with or is in the process of being dealt with. We try and act like we've got it together, and, and it shouldn't be that way, you know. As we begin to find people that we can trust and share our lives with, we can expose the messes and, and allow Jesus to begin to move in the midst of our mess. I believe he wants to do that. So um, I am thankful. Listen to me. I am thankful for Jesus. He's, the, he's, the, he's, he's like the, the master acceptor. I want to share with you from Mark chapter 2. But I'll be honest with you. If you're a guest here, the temptation, or maybe you've been here for a while and you think this way too, the temptation is to look around this room and to think everyone has it together but you. Most people think that way. That person, wow, they got it going on. They're good. They've got, you know, they've got their stuff together. God's done some great. And you're looking at them thinking that way, and they're looking at you thinking that way. Right? We don't have it together. Let's just be honest. God is good. He's transforming us as we, as we press in, as we respond to his word. And, and as we let him, let his presence just come into our lives, he's a transforming God. 
But we're in process, okay? So we don't have to pretend like we've already gotten there. We're, we're getting there, but we're in process. Uh, in the last month, I'll just, you, you need to hear this. In the last month, God's been working on some mess in my life. It's too fresh right now to share. Someday I'll share it. But, you know, I, I'm coming through some mess. Like some stuff has been exposed of why I'm acting the way I'm acting and responding the way I'm responding. And, and I'm going after it. And Jesus is revealing it to me, but it's not pretty all the time. You know? It's not pretty all the time. So if you have a mess, you don't have to cover it up, like sweep it under the rug. Listen, <laughs> be real enough with people to say, listen, I need help. I need Jesus to move. Would you pray with me? Would you stand with me? Would you, would you hold me accountable? And so culture of acceptance in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. It's a very, very short passage. You've, you've read this, I'm sure, if you've, if you've been in the Bible much. Um, I've been, I've been just sort of uh, plodding through the Gospels and just, just visiting the Gospels a lot. But here we, we, we begin to see um, Jesus. He's on a mission like he's always on a mission. He's always, he's always at work. He's always responding to his father and, and uh, doing what his father's telling him to do. And it says in verse 13 of Mark chapter 2, it says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. And he began to teach them. And as you read the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus constantly had large crowds around them, around him. Constantly, large crowds, no matter where he went, into cities, outside of cities, it didn't matter. He constantly had large crowds. And there's a few reasons why I believe this took place. Because he was a miracle worker. People wanted to get healed. People wanted to see miracles. People wanted to see people healed. It was just amazing. It would be amazing to see. Like if you heard someone down the street, you know, dead being raised and uh, you know, just people, paralyzed people getting healed, people with all these kind of mental illnesses getting set free. You'd want to see what's going on there, right? Probably. It's... So anyway, he had people following him that way. Um, also, uh, I believe that people were, were astounded by his, his teaching. It says that they were amazed that his teaching had authority. It wasn't like the Pharisees. He, he, there was something special about this man, so they wanted to hear his teaching. But I believe, thirdly, that people felt different when they were around him. He accepted them. You, who do you think was following him? We know the religious crowd, that, you know, they, they were there to try, and, to try and expose him. But I, I believe that there were broken people following him. There were needy people following him. There were people that didn't feel the way they normally felt around religious people when they were around him because the religious people would typically separate themselves from the sinners or the people that weren't walking with God the way they should, right? So here's these people. I believe that they're feeling accepted and loved in the grace of God, the mercy of God. And so there's this large crowd that came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi's son of Alphaeus. Now, if you have a paper Bible or if you have, maybe if you're, if you're using you version, I want you to highlight, circle, underline that word saw. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, we don't know an awful lot about this Levi, son of Alphaeus, here from this passage. Um, it, it, as you read the other Gospels, you begin to discover that this Levi, son of Alphaeus, ended up being a disciple of Jesus, and his name became Matthew. In fact, Matthew wrote the Gospel Matthew, right? And so 
we don't know a lot about him other than he's sitting in a tax collector's booth. So it's easy to surmise that this guy was a tax collector or a tax collector wannabe, right? So he's sitting in the tax collector's booth. And, and that's about all that we know that Jesus saw as it relates to this specific passage. But I can tell you that other people saw something different than Jesus did when they looked at uh, Levi, son of Alphaeus. They saw this man that had robbed him, robbed them. Tax collectors in that day, they, they were required to get a certain amount of money for the Roman government, but they would charge over that, and that would be their profit. So they would extort and expose their own people. They would take advantage of their own people. They were typically very rich people, the tax collectors, but they were despised by their people. They, they were hated. They, they, they had to take advantage of families. They had to take from uh, families. They had to take land at times when families couldn't pay. They, they exposed their people. They were very much uh, unlike. So uh, um, when, when the Jews would look at tax collectors, they would think, that man cheated our family. They rob, he robbed us. Shouldn't, shouldn't Jesus be correcting him or dealing with the injustices that this guy has committed against his own people? I mean, if you look at it, here's, here's Levi. Where is he? Where is he? He walked along. Where is he? He's along the lake. I mean, what an office. You, you've, got, you've got your tax collector's booth on the side of the lake. I mean, that, you, I mean think about it. Imagine if you, if you set up your office on the beaches of Hawaii. Imagine if you had an amazing, I mean, this is the view of views, right? At least this is the way I think about it. I'm, I know I'm twisted sometimes. but I, I mean, he's sitting in a prominent, awesome place. The Jews are like, they despise this man. They want justice. And here's this Jesus, this, this religious leader. And what are his first words to, him, to, to Matthew is, follow me. I mean, are you kidding me? Why, why, aren't, why aren't you bringing justice to your people, Jesus? You're telling this guy to follow you. I mean, you're not going to say, what are you doing to your people? Well, look at what, you are an evil, wicked man. You, you, should be, you should be punished. You should be whipped. You should be beaten. You know, you, Jesus says, follow me. That astounds me. I mean, think about that. He doesn't say a thing about, about Levi's sin. He doesn't expose him. He doesn't call him out. He doesn't uh, correct him. He says, follow me. So Levi, within moments, leaves that lifestyle. Essentially saying, my life is yours. We see this time and time again. We see this Zacchaeus, very similar. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Right? He was, he was worse than Levi. He was a chief tax collector. I mean, just worse. He doesn't, he doesn't correct. You don't even see any words of correction from Jesus to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus has changed. He's like, I'm going to give everything I've taken and four times more back to everyone I've robbed. I mean, he's changed. Jesus didn't point out his sin, Right? I'm going somewhere with this. But that's what Jesus, 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 it says that he was son of Alphaeus sitting. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. So I just described to you what the Jews would see. Jesus saw something vastly different in Levi. 
Jesus saw a man that would be his disciple for three and a half years, a man that he would send out and use mightily, a man that would be used to change the world, a man that would write a gospel that's still changing lives. That's what he saw. He saw gold in, in what, the, what his own people saw, just, just horrible. He was just a horrible person. Jesus sees gold. Jesus sees greatness. That's what Jesus saw. The passage goes on to say this. So he follows him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw, circle that, underline that, highlight, in your, highlight that on your, on your iPad, iPhone. Um, see, the, Jesus saw something and the Pharisees saw something. Do you see that? When they saw him eating with, eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous. I have not, called, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love how Jesus calls Matthew here. It's such a short, brief story and we get the impression that these disciples you know they're they're perfect no he called them out of messes and they continued in messes working through messes throughout the time that Jesus was with them and even after he left them peter this guy cussed he cursed right he cuts this guy's ear off right but it's ama- it amazes me that that Jesus said yeah that's my guy on the day of Pentecost, he's going to preach a message that's going to be, bring 3,000 people into the kingdom. Are you kidding me? James and John, perfect, right? No, they're self-absorbed. They're prideful. They want to sit on Jesus' right hand and left hand. They're all the disciples, the other disciples are mad at them. I mean, how could you ask that? What about us? Are you, you think you're more important to us? Well, obviously you do. James ends up being martyred. John ends up writing almost 20% of the New Testament. Uh, you know, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation. He sits there writing, you know, I was, in the, I was in, the present, in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He gets taken up into heaven and begins to write about uh, the end times and, and what, he began, what he was shown in heaven. Just amazing. Incredibly self-centered people God used. Thomas doubted. See, Jesus used broken, hurting, messed up people, people in messes, going through messes to change the world. I love that because that sort of makes me feel like I can fit in a little bit more than I usually feel that way. You know what amazes me even more? That Jesus did not call one scribe or Pharisee or religious leader to follow him. Not one. I mean, you'd think, come on, I mean, at least one. Give these guys a chance. What's... These guys, they've, they've served you as best they knew how. He didn't call one of them. Not even one. Not one perfect, perfect person to follow him he didn't call. Not even one. So it, it seems clear to me that Jesus' mission is to broken people. And he calls out potential in them. He sees potential. Right? I asked you to underline those words saw because Jesus saw something. The Pharisees saw something. And so um, I, I want to say this. I always try and give you one phrase to best remember the message. One phrase to best recount 
um, what I'm trying to get across, the point I'm trying to get across, here it is. You could write it down, you could forget it, you could whatever, you could Facebook it, tweet it. It says this, when I see as Jesus sees, because we saw that Jesus saw something that no one else saw. When I see as Jesus sees, I will do as Jesus did. I want to see the the way Jesus sees. I want eyes to see the way Jesus saw. Because here's, here's what happens when we don't see the way Jesus sees. I want to bring you to the passage where it says the Pharisees saw, okay? The Pharisees saw something. What did they see? Pharisees, they were religious leaders of the day, the pastors, the, uh, the, the religious crowd. They were, they were very, very, very um, specific. They had high standards of holiness. And uh, usually what we do is we, we, we slay the Pharisee. Look how stupid they are. Look how messed up they are. Look how much they missed it. And look at what Jesus did. But if that's the only thing we do, we expose the Pharisees. We make them look like stupid leaders and, and uh, they're losers. They're enemies of Jesus. I really think we can miss the point in a lot of passages. Because I think there's a little Pharisee in all of us. And it's the attitude that they have. It's the thought process that they have. It's the feelings that they have. It's the way they treat people that we should look at. And here's how, here's how it starts. Here's how, here's how it goes. You know, for a typical person who comes to Jesus and, and they're like, man, this Jesus thing, he's awesome. He's amazing. Following him is the best thing that has ever happened to me in my life, right? And so they, they radically change their life. They begin to get rid of the junk in their life and, you know, let Jesus operate on their heart and, and they grow closer and closer to him and great things are happening. You know, they're pursuing him, establishing spiritual disciplines. They're praying. They're in the word. They're always asking questions. It's all good. It's good, right? But then something begins to happen. They begin to look at the people who are lagging behind. They begin to look at the people that aren't reading their Bible like they are. They're not giving or serving. They're not, they're not surrendered like they are. You know, they begin to look at the people that are not living at the level they are. Right? These people lagging behind. And they begin to have this self-righteous attitude toward them. Like, man. Why are they still in sin? Why, why, why are they living like that? Come on. You know, look at them. If the church would just, you know, the church is so cold. The church is, do you see them? That, that family's like that because the mother and father are blah, blah, blah. And they begin to expose their hearts. They begin to expose uh, uh, the people that they perceive are behind them, right? And what has happened is this. They've taken, we have a choice. We we can keep our eyes glued, fixed on Jesus and just continue to pursue him. Or we can begin to watch the people who are lagging behind. And that's really the spirit of a Pharisee. Like, they've forgotten where they've come from. They've forgotten what God has done in their lives. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. um, You can can flip there. It's going to take me a second to get there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Paul writes this. They've forgotten. Verse 9. It says this. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now here's the key verse. Look at this verse 11. And that is what some of you were. Okay, so God changed your life, but now you can point the finger at them because now you're better than them, right? We can, we can expose it. Look at them. I mean, look at, look, at, look at where they're at. Look at where I'm at. I mean, that's really what's happening when we begin to look at the lives of the Pharisee. That is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We forget where we've come from. Now, now, how does this play out? How does this play out in our lives? I mean, you know, do we, do we see through the eyes? Do we see the way Pharisees see, or do we see the way Jesus sees? Do, do we look at people the way Jesus does, does? Hopeful, there's a future. God's got great things for you. Matthew, I see where you're at, but I'm not looking at where you're at. I'm looking at where I want to take you. I want to use you to change the world. Do we, do we see the way Jesus does, or do, do we see the... Look at the sinner. I mean, look at what he's doing. Look at, and we just focus on the moment and where they're at. That's what Pharisees do. I, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want my heart to be that way. And so Pharisees isolated themselves. They were self-righteous. They stayed away from sinners. That's why we see in this passage, they're asking the question, why would he ever eat with sinners and tax collectors? It makes no sense to me. We need to stay away from those filthy sinners, right? That's, That's what they're saying in essence. Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Because they were looking through their own eyes and not the eyes of their Father in heaven. When I see the way Jesus sees, I will do what Jesus does. I want to love people. I want to call the gold out in people. I want people to, to rise up based upon the destiny that God has in their lives. I want, to, I want to be used by God to see people, their lives change forever, and to do great things for the kingdom of God. But if I stick on their sin, if I stick on their mess, and I just nail that and focus on that, I miss it. I, I'll miss it. I'll miss it time and time and time again. So uh, what does this look like in our real lives? Well, maybe, maybe you work with someone who's addicted to drugs or constantly coming in with alcohol breath or, or this woman's cheating on her husband. Maybe you work with people like that. Maybe you work with people that, that have all kinds of problems. They're cheating. They're lying. Do you remove yourself from them? Or do you run, run into this, the mess and, and, and go after that, love them, accept them for who they are? I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about approving of their sin. Listen, here's something I want to be very clear about. Um, acceptance or a culture of acceptance is not equal to endorsement. Because I'm loving someone doesn't mean I approve of their sin. It's not equal to approval, Right? I can befriend a drug addict, a prostitute. Uh, you know, I can befriend anyone and accept them. That doesn't mean I say your sin is great, it's okay, just keep on going on. I, I want to love them in the midst of their mess. Does that make sense? I want to love them in the midst of their mess. This is what we see Jesus doing in John chapter 8 with the adulterous woman. You know, he, he loved her. He, he, he dealt with the, the people who wanted to stone her, right? 
But then he says, go and sin no more. Like, he had earned a platform in her life. He saved her life. She was about to be stoned. He saved her life. So she would be more apt to hear what he had to say. Go and sin no more. The blind man, he heals him. The guy didn't even know who Jesus was. Who is this Jesus? He's about to get kicked out of the synagogue. His parents are about to get kicked out of the synagogue. Finally, he figures out who Jesus is. And Jesus comes to him, or he comes back to Jesus and says, go and leave your life of sin. Like, come on. This, it could be different. It could be better. Like, it, there's some hope for you, right? I, I'll do great things in your life. There's hope for you. Let's, let's move forward with this. So we're not, when we accept people, we don't endorse sin. But I want to I be very specific because, you know what? I think you have to earn the right to speak into people's lives. And there's times that we, we, we see people going up and, you know, maybe, maybe a person's dressed the wrong way and, and they're challenged because it looks sinful. And, and I mean, that, well, that, is that grace? Is that acceptance or is that judgment and rejection? You, you see what I mean? Like, I, I think that you have to earn a platform, the ability to speak into somebody's life and love them where they're at. They have to trust you in order for you to challenge them sometimes. I mean, you can't just go up to someone on the street and say, you know, challenge them about their lives. You, you better take some, I'm just trying to give you some wisdom because I've seen so many people hurt. I've seen so many people hurt in the church. There's a lot of people in this room right now that are here because they were hurt in their other church. Because they felt judged and rejected and, you know, they didn't say the right thing or do the right thing or stand up or sit down the right way or they had a hat on or, you know, they spilled coffee on the rug or whatever it is, Right? And, and they're, they're rejected and they're hurting. And, and then I've got to clean up the mess or try to. And sometimes I'm not successful. And I would say this. You can love someone enough and be in relationship with someone enough to challenge them where they're at. But don't just go up to people haphazardly like it's no big deal. You're hurting them. You may not know that, but you're hurting them. And I don't want people hurt. I want people accepted and loved. And I want the gospel to change their lives. That's very important. That's very important. So acceptance is not equal to endorsement. Now, I want to finish with just a couple thoughts really quick. I love how Jesus accepted people. He accepted people based upon who God had made them to be. He looked past the junk And expose the love of God to their lives. I want to be a church like that. I want, I want our church to, to accept and embrace people. And this is what I would say to you. First and foremost, before we become a church like that, I want you to let Jesus accept you. I want you to let Jesus accept you. Maybe you're here today and you've been running from Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've been running because, you know, you've been rejecting his love, rejecting his offer, rejecting his, his, his free gift of acceptance to you. You've been on the run. You don't feel worthy. You know, you're, you're, you're feeling unworthy, not good enough, not righteous enough. Listen to me. He knows that. He knows you're not worthy. He knows you're not righteous enough. But just like he came to Matthew or Levi, he's coming to you. He's chasing after his kids, because he loves them so much. Let Jesus accept you. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ or you've walked away, let Jesus accept you. 
He's the master acceptor. He's so filled with grace and mercy and love. He's amazing. He's amazing. Let him accept you. But there's other people, you know, you've accepted Jesus as it pertains to giving your life to Jesus Christ, but you're still stuck in the tax collector's booth. Because his acceptance of you has not propelled you into your destiny. You're, you're still stuck in it. I'm unworthy. I haven't, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough. Jesus is good enough. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. But his, he's good enough, and he's accepted you to draw you in to greatness, into destiny, into hopefulness, into a future. That's what he has for you, great plans for you. Get out of the tax collector's booth. He says, follow me. That means you, you got to leave where you're at to go where he's going, okay? Don't stay there. He said, follow me. Matthew did it like in a split second. He's like, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm tired of this rejection. I began to think about Matthew's life. Like he was probably in towns and villages with people and ministering to people that he had robbed before. I began to think about, like, what, what if you, you know, what if you're with the entourage of Jesus, you know, the big crowd, and, and all of a sudden, people are like, I know you. You robbed me. That was my family's land. You took that. I mean, there was still a mess, I believe, that Matthew had to deal with even though he left the tax collector's booth. But he began to walk into greatness because he walked with Jesus. Listen, leave the tax collector's booth. Let Jesus accept you. Let it be real in your life that you walk this thing out and see God do great things in your life. Things that you'll never do on your own. Things that only he has planned for you. Amen? Here's the final thing. Start accepting other people. Start accepting other people. Remember where you came from. Remember what God did in your life. You know, accept them. You may not like their dress or their age or their per- political persuasion. You might, might not like that they're, they're hold, they walk in here holding hands, smiling with a person of the same sex. You may not like that at all. But I'm challenging you to accept them and love them. They need to feel comfortable enough in this place, no matter what their mess is, in order to come back. They need to feel comfortable enough in order to let Jesus change them. And if they're feeling judged and looked down upon and, you know, what are they doing in here? They don't belong in here. That's the heart of a Pharisee right there. Let Jesus do his work in people's life. He will accept them. And he will change them. Amen? So I want this place to be, listen to me, I, I want porn addicts in here. I, I want porn addicts to come and feel comfortable here. I want drug addicts here, adulterers and homosexuals. I want thieves and liars and skeptics and the divorce. I, I, I want drunkards and fornicators and doubters and backsliders to feel accepted in Faith Chapel. Now, we can be the kind of people that stiff-arm them and drive them away because they don't belong, or we could be like Jesus. We see them like Jesus sees them. We see the goodness of God in them. We see God's plan and his, 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 his goals for their lives. We see destiny. We see gold deep down in there. I want them to feel welcome, and I want you to do it. Let God change them. Amen? We're called to love people. 
Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. That's what we're called to do. It may make us feel uncomfortable. It may be different than what we've ever done before. But I believe that this is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. I believe it's a picture of the kind of church that Jesus would lead if he were walking the face of this earth today. And I believe instead of judging people or looking at people in the wrong way because they didn't dress right, that we can love them enough, encourage them enough, keep them coming back and back again and again, and the Holy Spirit will deal with their dress issue. I believe that, you know, poverty issues, homelessness issues, smell issues, listen, we can love people through their mess. And in the meantime, we'll love you through your mess. God is a good God. His kingdom is growing here in Syracuse, New York. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of a church that is alive and well, that God is doing great things in, that people feel loved. I've had people ask questions like, do you, so, do you think so-and-so would, feel, would be okay at your church? They have this and this and this going on. And I began to think about that. Like, I, I just don't know. I don't know how they'd be treated by our people. And that's why I've just been so feeling so strongly about this message, that we need to have a culture of acceptance in this place, a culture of love. Can you imagine what our church would be like if we began to live by this, that we began to grab hold of God's principles of love, acceptance, right? We began to see people the way he sees them. Can you imagine what our church would be like? I think it would be the kind of church where it says love one another, right? They love, they love one another. That is amazing. That's like, that's amazing. I think, I, I think the world would see it and they'd want a piece of that. It, it would transform our, our workplaces and our neighborhoods. You know that neighbor you haven't talked to in years because he said this to you or did this to you or put something on your property and you've been mad or, or you know, he's an alcoholic or he kicks his dog or he said something to your daughter you didn't like, you know what? We need to accept them and love them through their mess. Pushing them away, ostracizing them, ignoring them, that's not going to do anything for the kingdom. Let's be like Jesus and see people like Jesus sees them. I want to invite you to your feet as we, as we close in prayer. I want to pray that we would be the kind of church that went after people wholeheartedly Run after the messes. Run after the craziness. I don't know what this church would look like if people really feel, started to feel accepted like that. I mean, it may get a little messy, but I am willing to deal with the mess. I am willing to accept that. It may change our church a little bit, but you know what? I want people to feel loved. People who are distant and hurting, I want them to feel loved. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I bless you today. Father, I pray, Father, that, Lord, we would be the kind of people that let Jesus accept us first. Lord, we'd be the kind of people, Lord God, that, that uh, uh, you move in our hearts, God, that, you, that, you, that you've done something deep, Lord God, that we follow after you, but also that we accept others, Lord, accepting one another, God. Let us be that kind of people. God, I, I pray for even opportunities this week, Father, in the church, 
outside the church, as we live our life, God, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, God, in the workplaces, God, where people we would normally distance ourselves from, God, we would press in and go after the mess and just love them for who they are. Lord God, change us. Cause our eyes to see the way you see. Help us to do what you would do. We love you so much. I bless your people today. I bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you. Amen.